Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. We're glad you're here. We're in a new series called uh, God First. And the series is a little different than a normal series. Next Sunday, we'll be starting Nehemiah, and that series is pretty more typical that we work through an actual book of the Bible. Uh, this is a more topical series. It's still exegetical, or there's still exposition where you exposit from the Word of God. So we talked about prayer and, and our finances and stewardship, and today we're going to be talking about our time. What I'd like for us to do is all stand up. There are a couple of passages I want us to get in our mind, and I expanded the first one by a verse, so you might want to write that one down in your, in your notes. It's Ephesians chapter 5, and what I'd like for us, now try and remember the words, okay, when we read it, because I'm going to refer to this passage over and over throughout this whole message, okay? Ephesians 5, the whole context of Ephesians 5, we're learning how to be imitators of God, how to walk in love, how to walk as children of light and now to, to walk in wisdom. So let's read Ephesians 5 together. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, before we go to the next passage, I want you to see it's all talking about walking in wisdom. Now, how? What's going to help us to walk in wisdom? Now, let's read uh, Psalm chapter 90. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Go ahead and have a seat. If you can put it back to Ephesians 5 for just a second, and then we'll get going. I want to, This sort of sets the stage for the entire message. This phrase right here, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This phrase here, ex agorizomai is the word, making the best use of the time. That can be translated a lot of different ways. It can be NIV, New American Standard, making the most of the time. The NET, taking advantage of the time. I think the ESV has absolutely hit the nail on the head making the best use of the time. The reason I suggest that, and the reason we're having this message is, usually when people read this passage, they read it, not in the ESV, but they've read it in, whether it be Living Bible or New American Standard, and it goes, i got to make the most of the time. And so what we do is we cram as much as we can in a day because we think, well, this is, this is what pleases God. That's not at all what this passage is saying. It's, it's saying, if you're going to be wise, you've you got to understand that your days are numbered. I mean, today might be the last day of your life. It might be 100 years from now. It might be two years. Who knows? Be wise. And to do that, you need to make the best use of the it's not the word chronos, where we would get our words chronology, where you might think number of minutes per day, but it's kairos, make the best use of whatever season of life you're in. That's the word for season, kairos, not chronos, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's when we take this, and believe me, for years, 
I've taken this as I have got to be as absolutely productive as I can in every single day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I'm going to clarify it in a little bit. But first, you better understand the will of God so that you can make the best use of the season of life that you're in. Because we're all in different seasons of life. And my life as somebody without any children at home is going to be radically different from a new mom, a new dad, the season of life they're in. So you better understand the times first. And now once you do understand that, you want to be as profitable as you can with that day. So it's when you don't get that, all of a sudden you realize you're not sleeping because you're trying to cram more chronos in every day. And you're getting two and a half hours less sleep per day than the average person did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. You're spending 4.6 hours per day on your iPhone. The average American, 4.6 hours a day. And the average American, no matter what age you are, the average on just Facebook is an hour a day. The average teenager is using social media, this blew my mind, nine hours a day. So cram more and more. It's no wonder USA Today says, today people are souped up, stressed out, overscheduled, and this brave new world boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Everybody's mobile. Every moment of the day is scheduled. Daycare, school, after-school activities, 10, 12-hour workdays. The pressure cooker lifestyle is so rare that anthropologists are now studying it to see how it affects us. And instead of experiencing life as God designed it, I've come that you might have an abundant life. I've come that you might have joy. I've come that you might have a relationship with me, that you might understand the purpose of your life, fulfillment in life, meaning in life. Instead, we feel just like Job. I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. So what do we do to get life in order so that it can be as God designed it to be when Jesus was, got everything done but was never in a hurry? How how could he do that? Well, Ephesians 5. You know, go back to that verse again. Walking in wisdom, making the best use of that season of life that he was in. The season of life that we are in. Understand God's will. And then the the very next work is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. It's just so beautiful how it all puts together. So what, let me tell you why this is important. What are the results? Now, in your notes, I just said, what are the results of a hectic lifestyle? And by that, let me redefine it and make it clear what I am saying. What I'm talking about, a hectic pace is one where you're maximizing chronos without first determining the best use of Kairos, maximizing how much you can cram in without first determining what is God's will for my season of life? 
What's God's best for me? How he designed me, how he made me. What's the best right now? Say, if you don't do it. In other words, if you're going to take David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, and you, all you do is learn how to cram more in, this is what's going to result. What's going to result is you're going to feel a whole lot more stress. And the Bible says anxiety in a man's heart. This is not a clinical description, but I think it's a very accurate. Anxiety in a person's heart just weighs him down. That's a beautiful descriptive word. Weighs him down. So he says, don't be anxious about life, what you shall eat or drink, about your body, what you should put on. Is life not more than food and your body more than clothing? Don't be anxious about everything. With anything, everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, it's foolish not to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's foolish. You have to say, God, what is best? What's the best use of my life for your glory in this kairos, in this season of my life. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And if we don't do it, the result, in other words, if, if we're taking it as chronos, if I'm going to take the translation as being the NIV or the New American Standard, make the most of the, of the day, I'm just going to cram it. I'm going to cram so much stuff in it because I'm, I'm not thinking purpose, meaning how God has designed me. I'm just thinking cram as much as I can in it. And believe me, I was really good at that. When I was a student at, at Dallas Seminary, the first thing I would do when we would get our syllabus, I would take the syllabus, everything, all the classes, all the tests, all the papers were outlined, and I would, I would take sheets of paper and I would outline it in 15-minute increments. I would have every day for the whole semester divided in 15 increments. I knew exactly, I had every major test studied for a week in advance, every paper done a week in advance, had my dissertation done a semester in advance because I was driven by chronos. And all it's going to do is produce a lot of stress. It will weigh you down. And let me tell you what the impact of that is. When you are weighed down, it's going to impact everybody around you. It's going to impact their lives as well. They're going to feel that stress. One of the favorite illustrations that I read, it was a business magazine I read uh, years ago. They did a study on the effect of stress on children. And so they interviewed a lot of people who worked in business. They, they asked their children, if you were granted one wish that could change something about your mom and dad, what would your one wish be? And then the parents were asked, what do you think your kids are going to say? 98% of the parents were wrong. <laughs> you know what the parents thought the kids were going to say? The parents thought the kids were going to say, oh, we just want more time with mommy and daddy. That wasn't it. You know what the kids wanted? The kids said, my only desire would be that mom and dad aren't so stressed out. That was their number one desire, that mom and dad wouldn't be so stressed out. Sounds to me. So the, the application, parents, I've got this in your notes. Parents uh, are unaware, or either you're unaware or you're in denial that the effect that your pressured lives are having on your kids a lot of times the pressure even comes from good things. The Shulamite bride even confesses 
what the stress of overwork has done to her. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. If you live the kind of life that, you know, maybe somebody like um, um, Rick Warren would say, a purpose-driven life, and that really is sort of what he's talking about, a, a, a book good to help you, to help you determine desire and purpose and meaning and being productive is this what's best next. John Piper wrote the forward to this. This is a, a really good one to help you understand how you were created and, and operating within that in the context of the gospel. That's a good one. What's best next, Matt Perman, P-E-R-M-A-N. If you don't, you're going to be so stressed out. If you don't, you're going to lose your joy uh, Job 9, my days are swifter than a ru runner. They flee away. They see no, it's the word tobah. They see no, it could be translated, there's no bounty there. there. There's no prosperity there. There's no joy there. Those are all good translations. And yet, you know, here God took time to enjoy. You, you can't even get out of the first chapter of the book of Genesis when God is creating the universe. He looks and you know, a half a dozen times, he says, it, it's good. It, there's bounty there. There's prosperity. Same root word is used. Same, there's prosperity, bounty. It, it's good. It's good. It's good. It, it's very good. Jesus came that we might have life, that, that we might have it abundantly. But the hectic life pace when you're first not governed by purpose, by what God is calling you to do in the season of life, what happens then is there's stress, you lose your joy, and actually you become less productive than more productive. Proverbs 21 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. There's stress, no joy, mistakes. Uh, Proverbs says poverty. Proverbs 19 says desire without knowledge is not good. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Stress, no joy, less productivity. And bottom line, you can't hear God. You know, be still and know that I'm God and I'll be exalted among the nations. That's how this whole series started. Uh, with prayer, to be quiet enough, calm enough, uh, alone enough uh, to pray. So that's redeeming the time, buying back the time, making the best use of the season that you're in so that there can be a life filled with balance, a life filled with meaning and purpose life filled with prayer and the word and ministry and family and friends and worship, all those things. Well, how do you start this journey? What can help me begin slowing the pace? And again, I want to be real clear. I am not talking about just take stuff off the calendar, sit at home on the couch with your, with your feet in the air watching television. I am not. Listen, one of the most fulfilling things in the world is going to bed exhausted. 
but you're exhausted because you're doing what God wants you to do. You, you feel so compelled that you're being about God's business, doing God's work, and there's nothing greater than going to bed tired because of that. If you go to bed exhausted and tired because all you're doing is cramming in chronology into your day, you will go to bed filled with stress and anxiety. So how do you start slowing the pace? In other words, what is the best use of the season of life? Stop the constant push for more. And here, what I'm requesting that you do to stop the constant push for more, you have to first go back to what are your motivations? What are your values? That's the whole deal here. You're going to have to deal with that. In other words, you could ask this question. It'd be a great question for your community group. What is it that drives you to constantly keep pushing for more? In other words, what is the motivation of the drive that's within you? You know, why could be? Why must you always have more achievement in your work or in your career? Why must you have or think you have, you, you must have more money in the bank? Why must you fill your schedule with more activities? Why must you have more experiences? Why must you have more thrills? Why must you have more pleasures? You, you've got to get to the root. What is motivating these drives in your life? What's determining the values in your life? You might say, well, it's ambition. Well, an ambition can be very, very good. There's no doubt about it, and I'll give you some examples of that. Ambition also can be, let's just call it ambition out of control, ambition without boundaries, or ambitions with the wrong motivations and wrong values can be, and maybe I'll use a little hyperbolic term, preaching style, it could be the most destructive force in the entire universe. Ambition with the wrong motivations and wrong values. Think about it. It can destroy lives. It can destroy families. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy churches. It can destroy friendships. And think through your history classes over the course of history, it has destroyed nation after nation after nation after nation. Misplaced ambition. You know, I've been here at Parkview for 26 years. And over the years that I've been here, there have been some incredible, wonderful results from very positive, God-given ambition. You know, I remember when we first got here, when Helen Edwards and Cheryl started Hearts in Touch, you know, and, and see what women's ministries have taken off from there from. You know, godly ambition. You know, I look, I remember uh, Ruth, Ruth Davis, when she started the Parkview Preschool. And what an awesome ministry that is. I think when Doug Fern started the spot and now Faith Academy and how fabulous that has become. 
you know, I think of, I was talking to Sheldon, looking at him in the last service, literally hundreds of missionaries have left from Parkview to serve all around the world. Godly ambition, you know, wonderful purposes, wonderful results. Thousands, thousands of college students have come to know Christ. You know, what, what a joy, what a, what a blessing for that. You know, tens, literally tens of thousands of people cared for, their needs met. You know, dozens of churches have been started or dozens of churches have found pastors or, or church workers coming for men and women uh, that have left Parkview to serve in, in other churches. I mean, that's a very positive ambition, which is incredible. So you have to first analyze what's the motivation? What's the value? Am I understanding what the will of the Lord is? Am I understanding uh, that, God, please use my gifts and abilities. Use it in the best way in this season of life to bring glory to yourself. That kind of ambition is awesome. And when you go to bed doing that, you're going to go to bed exhausted, tired, but you're going to be not filled with stress. You're going to be filled with joy, filled with happiness. On the other hand, if your primary motivation to achieve doesn't come from God, but instead comes from insecurity or comes from fearing man rather than God. Stress will only be the result because your life will be driven. If, if you're here because you fear or if you're trying to do something because you're trying to please people rather than please God, let me tell you, all you'll want to do is prove yourself to them. And that's a life sucker. It'll suck the life right out of you. It has got to be because you fear God and you're, you're seeking His will. So what I'd like for us to do to understand, first of all, how important it is. We'll get to this point in just a second, but I want to preempt it with this lesson. I want us to all stand up uh, and, and recite together, but it, it's based on this. If you confuse your worth, who you are with your work, it will destroy your life. Okay, you got it? If you destroy your worth with your work, it will destroy your life. So let's all stand up. With that in mind, let's stand up and say this together. This, As believers in Jesus Christ, we can all say this very clearly without any question. Say it with me. I am worthwhile because God made me. Jesus loves me and he died for me that I might have an incredible and abundant life both now and forever. That's exactly it. Go ahead and have a seat. It's, that is it. And so because of that, my worth comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from me trying to prove myself to another person. It comes from Jesus. And, and because of that, now I can walk in wisdom, make the best use of the season of life because the days are evil. And, and I'm not going to be foolish, but I'm going to understand then what the will of the Lord is for me. And when I do that, then the next verse, I'm going to walk filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So how do you stop this constant push for more? And then, so we've already read it. Stop confusing your worth with your work. If you do that, you might think, well, all I have to do is start clearing my calendar. It just means I do less. No, you don't clear your calendar. If all you do is clear your calendar, you're just going to cram more stuff in it. You got to get to the root of the cause here, the root of why you're so driven. Don't just clear the calendar. Here's the lesson. Until you come to grips with how much you really matter to God, and what your worth is in Christ, until you get to that point, you're always going to be driven to do more for all the wrong reasons. Better is a handful of quietness and two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. I mean, will having more really make you happier? Do you really think so? Will doing more really make you happier? You know, the fact of the matter is happiness and joy. You can read the Bible from the beginning to the end. Happiness and joy is never associated with an amount. It's never found in abundance. It's never found in activities. It's never associated with circumstances, whether positive or negative. Never. Most people are frantically racing and pursuing for all the wrong reasons because they have no idea what the purpose is. That's why a book like this at least helps, drives you back to the gospel to understand the purpose first before you start filling the chronos. Again, I'm not opposed to filling your day. <laughs> Just make, don't maximize chronos before first you determine your purpose for existence and life, for your season of life. And your season of life is going to be very different from another person's season of life. If, if Say if you're retired... Man, the slates are clear. Think how God can use you. You know, if you're an empty nester, you're going to have a lot more available time than if you're a young mom or a young dad with kids, which is your, let me tell you, your, your young kid is your greatest ministry ever. That's your greatest ministry. Don't squander that time. I'm not saying don't do anything else. I'm just saying you better understand that. That priority there, you better understand it. So secondly, stop confusing worth of work. Secondly, stop comparing yourself to others. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing this church to that church. Stop comparing your business to another business. Listen, they are mortal enemies. Comparing and contentment are mortal enemies. You cannot compare and be content. A tranquil heart that gives life to the flesh. Envy, Proverbs 14 says, envy, comparing, will rot the bones. It'll eat you up from the inside out. So, 
Examine motives, examine values. Can I give you a, a great book, a fun book to read? Cheryl and I read it. We recommend it to Johnny and Jesse. They read it. Um, I mean, anybody would really enjoy it, but the setting of it, it's called When Breath Becomes Air. It's written by a guy, Paul uh, Kalanithi. He was uh, from Stanford. He was a, a neurosurgeon, actually. It was the story of him going through residency in neurosurgery. He's a Christian. Uh, he thought he was going to be um, majoring in English literature. Uh, he loved philosophy, loved English lit. And then he understood, to really understand philosophy, you really have to understand how science and the mind mix. And so if you enjoy science, if you enjoy the study of, of uh, science and, and who you are, Christianity, and how they come together, this book is a, is a knockout. But at 36 years old, when he's just finishing up residency from Stanford in neurosurgery, he discovers that he has fourth stage lung cancer. And it's sort of the story of him coming to grips with mortality. Teach us to number our days. Psalm 90, remember? And then it's, it's the struggle with motivation and value. What does he do? Does he write? Does he continue in neurosurgery? You know, what does he do? It's a beautiful story. Uh, and I, I think he comes, he wrestles with these questions in a, in a wonderful way. So that's just a, a great one to read. Uh, secondly, uh, so stop that constant push for more. Learn to say no to life's leeches. Uh, remember that any drug slogan, just say no. Uh, and what I'm saying, hear me, I'm saying say no to the wrong things. Say yes to the right things. How God has designed you, shaped you, the season that you're in. Say yes to those things. But quickly, when the motivation is wrong, say no to the other things. It's a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. Uh, it's, and he uses the word here, it's, it's a trap or it's a snare, and then uh, later to de dedicate it something like, a, he uses the word like, a, it's a wild utterance, like got snared, and it's like a cry out. Uh, so don't, don't promise something without first praying about it. You know, don't, don't decide on something without deliberating. Is this, you're seeking God's will. Is this the best use of the season I'm in according to your will that will give you glory? I want to be wise, Lord. I don't want to be a fool. That's the plea here. So carefully, prayerfully think through your commitments. You may not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, vanishes, and said you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. That's Ephesians 5. So I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to get into things and get out, of, get out of things. It's a whole lot easier to get into trouble than out of trouble, right? It's a whole lot easier to get into debt than out of debt, believe me. It's a whole lot easier to get into a relationship than out of one. It's a whole lot easier to put something in your schedule than to remove it from your schedule. And so just be careful. Pray first. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And we're going to talk about this at the very end. You're not going to understand what the will of the Lord is unless you are spending time in the Word of God. 
You know, that is a plea from us. We took the survey, you know, a, a number of weeks ago, and one of the things that's very clear, people at Parkview need desperately to be in the Word of God. And I, I'm going to give you a, a challenge there uh, to, end, to end the service. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we just keep piling because the motivation for our life is so messed up. We don't understand what the motivation should be for our lives, and we just keep piling it in. You know, I think of Cheryl. Uh, once a week, she shops for Rosie and Eric, and she goes to Costco, and they've got eight kids. And can you imagine what the carts look like? We look like a train going down the aisles of Costco. You know, it doesn't matter. Just throw it in, throw it in. It doesn't matter. Just keep throwing it in because we've got an SUV. It will fit, you know, and you're going through, and then just stuff starts just dropping off the edges. You know, there's, <laughs> there's so much stuff. And that's sort of like life. You know, you can just keep piling it in, piling it in, piling it in. And then all of a sudden, it just it doesn't fit. And, and the sad thing is, a lot of the good things that you should be doing, there's no time for the really meaningful, good, purposeful things because you've got so much other garbage in there. So learn to say no uh, to the wrong things. Learn to say yes to God's priorities, God's the ones that he wants you to do in your life. And you've got to understand that what's the motivation. Is it the fear of God or the fear of man? Uh, deal with those motivations. Oh, obey the fourth commandment. Hey, I made God's top ten list. I was right up there with don't commit adultery and don't steal, don't murder. Uh, take that time to take a Sabbath. A Sabbath rest came from the Babylonian word shaputu. It's a word that means uh, to a, a day of the pacification of the heart, where, where the heart is just centered on God, that Sabbath rest. So, and not only, it's not just a once a week deal. I mean, this is something that really should be done every day. Let me give you a few things that you should do, that not only every week, your Sabbath, your Sabbath rest in your own heart, but this should be a, a probably a daily occurrence as well. Uh, use the day to rest your body. Uh, it's in vain you rise up early, go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Um, you know, and if, and if you feel guilty, like if you're how many of you, just to sit down and relax, you feel guilty? I mean, I do that all the time. I sit down, I feel guilty. I need to be doing something. Maybe I can vacuum the house. Maybe I can clean behind the refrigerator. You know, maybe I can do something. You know, uh, wax underneath the car. I don't know. I just feel, <laughs> feel guilty sometimes for resting. I think, how immature. That's purely a mark of immaturity, uh, thinking that you don't need to rest. It's either insecurity or immaturity, one or the other. It's either your value, your worth is coming through what you do, or it's just plain immaturity. What kid? Hey, we just got back from Christmas. We had 19 grandkids, and then we kept another couple. I mean, good Lord. You know, I forget how hard it is. You know, it's hard. Uh, but, and there are a number of them that really needed a nap. They didn't want to take a nap. Why don't little kids who need naps want to take naps? I'll tell you why. It's, it's because they're immature. And, but we're the same thing. You know, we don't want to rest because either we're, either, either we're insecure or we're immature, one, one or the other. But take the day. Don't be fearful to rest. Use the day to recharge your emotions, too. How do you do that? Let me just give you two words, quietness and relationships. Quietness, time with God. Dave spent a whole week on prayer. 
Time with God, time in the word of God is so critical. Be still and know that I'm God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the the still waters. He restores my soul. How's he going to do that? Through prayer, uh, through the word of God. Can I give you a challenge? I'm going to just go ahead and give it to you right now. You're spending 4.6 stinking hours a day on your iPhone. All I'm asking for is 15 minutes. You're spending 4.6 hours a day. You're spending an hour on Facebook, the average American. So just 15 minutes. This is as easy as I can possibly. We just spend five minutes reading a chapter in the Old Testament, then flip to the New Testament, read a chapter in the New Testament. There's 10 minutes. And then spend five more minutes and work through Psalms, Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, like that. I can't make it any easier. And then, you know, in a year or so, you'll be through the New Testament a number of times. You'll be through the Old Testament at least once in a couple years. It's probably better than what you're doing now. 15 minutes, that's it. Now, hopefully you'll get a taste for it and you'll want to do it a whole lot more. So, Use the day to recharge your emotions, quietness, relationships. Use the day to refocus your spirit. And that's word and worship and prayer and study. Sing psalms, uh, spiritual songs. That's Ephesians 5 as well. It goes down to making joy, melody in your heart. And then the W, wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timing. The best use of the season, uh, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And maybe, you know, today, right now, you've just had a baby. It might not be the right time uh, to do something. Maybe next year would be the right time or, or another season of your life would be a great time uh, to do it. But you, that's something you need to do with the right motives, going before God, uh, be willing to say yes to the right things, but you got to clear all the nonsensical things out of your life so you can say yes uh, to the right things. Um, for still the vision, I love Habakkuk chapter 2, for still the vision waits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not delay. I know if you're like me, faster always seems better, right? I mean, why wait till tomorrow when you can do it today? I mean, we want it done and we want it done now. Faster always seems better. Uh, but, but faster isn't always better. We have to wait on God's timing. I mean, there are some things that are good if they're instant. You know, instant oatmeal isn't all that bad. But have you ever heard of one-minute barbecue? Who would want to eat one-minute barbecue? You know, no good. So there are some things we just need to wait the best use of the season. So I've, I've given you an assignment for reading the Bible. If you're going to understand what the will of the Lord is, you had better be in the book of books. There are some other helpful books, like What's Best Next?, you know, that would be a good one to start with. Once you've got this one down and you really want to maximize your day, you know, maybe I might recommend getting things done by David Allen. Don't start there. It'll mess your life up. Uh, you, then it just results in stress, okay? Your plan is to go to bed fulfilled and exhausted. You feel so fulfilled, so tired, 
that you sleep like a baby. I, I, I'll never forget. One of my favorite memories of Cheryl, absolute favorite. You know, if, if I were chosen, to, if I had to choose to pick maybe 10 precious memories, you know, our wedding, of course, the day I met her. But this would be right up there. This is when we had these six little kids. Oh, I, I, I don't know how parents do it anymore. I really don't. That was another season. That was another kairos of my life. But I remember we were so exhausted and the kids were little, trying to get them in bed and doing all this stuff. And we finally get them in. And we plunked down. And, and I remember Cheryl plunking down. on. The, we still have the chair. We, we did recover it. But it's still in our house. And she sat down on that chair and she looked so exhausted. And I sat down on the couch and I looked at Cheryl and I said, Cheryl, are you doing okay? Her response, I'll, this is what I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, Jeff, I have never felt more fulfilled in all of my life. Listen, was she tired? Absolutely. Fulfilled? Was she anxious? Was she stressful because of it? Not at all. She was exhausted, but it was according to God's will for her life in that season of her life. She was absolutely in the center of God's will. That is my prayer for each one of us where we are, that our lives, our time would bless God. Let's stand. I'll close with prayer and then we'll end again by Jesus is better. God, we are all here. Uh, we want to give it all to you. So Jesus, here it is. Here's the good and the bad. Here's the ugly of my life. Lord, please take all of the pieces. Take our schedules, our ambitions, our dreams, our accounts, our hopes, our goals, our faults, our failures. Take every bit of it. Lord, you're going to have to be the one who helps us make sense of it. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to number our days and to make the best use of these seasons of our lives by understanding your will. That's what we pray for and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.